No need for warm-up exercises. Cue music. Tuesday Night Podcast, the podcast all about the stories we make while playing the games we love on, around, and under the gaming table. Yeah! Talking about board games. And with me, I have the person with whom I always feel safe, Sean. Hey, how's it going? Going great. Now that you're here, I've missed you, man. You haven't been on some episodes. I've missed you too. What have you been up to, sir? More like what haven't you been up to, am I right? (laughs) (laughs) Mm. In my sort of secret identity life, I'm a freelance graphic designer, though I realistically only have one client, and that client is a company called GoRuck, who makes these high-end rucksacks, which are backpacks. GoRuck! All the people that work there are uh, ex-Special Forces, Green Beret, SEALs. I work with a couple of Israeli Special Forces guys. And I think I've talked about on the show before this event that I help run called Constellation, which is an urban survival event. And it's typically 12 hours long and you go into your city and you learn all these cool things like how to make a gas mask or how to filter water. Well, recently we had the final culminating alumni only 24 hour long event. And so that ate up a lot of my time preparing for that, going to the location, helping run the event. But it was a lot of fun. And I even met a uh, Two Rooms and a Boom fan there, which was kind of cool. The event, to make it sort of more exciting, we had role players, which are like LARPers, essentially, at each of these mission stations where teams would, they would locate these stations sort of in the middle of the night. The role players, along with a special forces cadre, would have them do a scenario. Like, all the members on your team would have to hop over a 12-foot high fence with their backpacks on and also get these two 60-pound sandbags over the fence. That would be like a typical scenario. I'm not sure if I've ever heard more of a juxtaposition than a military badass special forces and a LARPer, (laughs) which for the uninitiated is a live action role player. Oh, yeah, for sure. It all stems from this old event they used to do called Jedberg, where the scenario was that you were part of this World War One Special Forces spy type stuff. And so the role players were there to help, again, sell the scenario, the sell the training exercise. But it is kind of weird because I'm introducing myself to them like, hey, I'm Sean, I'm running the games. And one of them was like, I heard you're in board games. And I was like, that's right. You know, I make a game called Two Rooms and a Boom. And guy came up to me and he's like, I've played Two Rooms and a Boom. And I was like, I think I met you at Gen Con last year, actually. And he was like, oh my God, totally. So it's just cool to see uh, board gamers out there, even in a place <laughs> like this special forces sort of training exercise. But it was a lot of fun. But that has been what I've been up to. It's almost apropos, which is a pretentious way of saying appropriate, (laughs) that you bring up GORUCK in this military training, because for this episode, we have a Knave Tonight submission. It's from someone who served in our military. I'm excited about that. I also want to talk about our plans for BGGCon. Also, I'd like to catch up on some games. I just want to have a nice game-centric episode because what I've been up to lately, Sean, is the podcast, and I feel like we've been neglecting our knaves because it's been so focused on the nobles, the guests, if you will. So we should jump into some of this stuff. And what do you say we talk about some BGG? That sounds great. 
Excuse me, Sam, do you have the time? But of course, it be topic time. What the hell's BGG Con? I've been asking myself that same question for a long time. Stands for Board Game Geek Convention because the most popular website, from my understanding, all about board games is BoardGameGeek.com. Scott Alden is a friend of the show. He's actually been on the show before. Not exclusively. He was in one of the convention mixes. But we're going. You live in Dallas because that's where BGGCon occurs, which is probably why we'll always go to BGGCon. But... What do you think of BGGCon? You know, it's almost like a closing ceremony for the convention season for us. Or that's what it's sort of been historically, where we catch up with our friends, Travis Worthington from Indie Boards and Cards, Colby from uh, Plat Hack, especially since they moved to Dallas. And so we just sort of have a good old time reminiscing about the year. And I think it's often been a time where we take stock of where we are as a company and try to set goals for the new year. With convention season ending, we're catching up on our finances, our Kickstarters, and the holidays are about to hit. And it's the last convention we're going to have face-to-face before we see each other in the new year. So it's always a good time to say, okay, what have we done this year? What can we do better this next year? Uh, what can we stop doing that's bad? That's, I think, what BGGCon means to me. What are you looking forward to most at BGGCon this year? 2017, baby! You know... It used to be that the thing I looked forward to the most was the plaid hat, chad hat party. But now that that party's bigger... I don't think it's happening again. At least we didn't... We've lost our invitation. I guess we're not cool enough. But for the knaves listening, I remember the first Chad Hoveter party. Chad Hoveter is a professional sculptor for models. If you ever played Mice and Mystics, you have some sampling of his modeling expertise The Chad Hoveter Party, which was renamed the Chad Hat Party because it eventually combined forces with Plaid Hat Games. But Chad Hoveter threw a party at his place, and that was the moment that you and I thought, we made it because we were on the way to this party with all these other industry insiders. And that's where we met Quinn's in person and Paul in person for the first time. We got in tight with the Board of Life crew and you're still friends with Donald, supposedly. I don't know. You kind of say that you play games with Donald every once in a while. Donald and Nikki Schultz, Board with Life. So we're hanging out with all these people. And then next year, we thought, man, we got to do this again. It was amazing. And the year after that, they moved it to the Plaid Hat offices because then Plaid Hat Games moved from Ohio down to Dallas. And it was so big, so big. And now I think it got so big that it's not happening. But I may be totally wrong. I may just not be in the invite circle. I don't know. You'll have to tune in next episode of the Tuesday Night Podcast for Sean and I's recap of BGGCon to see what happened. Whoa. But what are you looking forward towards now, Sean? Now it's a lot more boring. I just look forward to breaking open as many different board games as possible because they have such a great board game library and there's a lot of people there. And usually there's new like hotness games from Essen and you get to play games that you hadn't played before or heard of before. Like I think last year I really enjoyed Flamme Rouge. And so I'm really looking forward to just breaking open a lot of games and having some like dedicated guilt-free board gaming time where there's like nothing else to do, nowhere else you're supposed to be, just like sit down with some friends and play some games. What about you? I'm looking forward to spending time with you because it's also the time that you and I get to spend time together on your home turf. And it's kind of the state of affairs for our business for the coming year because we're so caught up in conventions all summer long. Now it's, all right, what are we doing? What's the next Kickstarter? And we talked about this. 
I'm excited because we came up with some conclusions. We're gonna do That's Not Lemonade. This is actually pretty big news that I'm releasing to the world right here and right now. That's Not Lemonade, formerly known as You Mad Bro. That's right. We are re-theming You Mad Bro and launching it as That's Not Lemonade. So for those of you that are Cthulhu fans, we're sorry. But maybe not so much because it was a silly take on Cthulhu. But instead of the simplest press your luck game you've ever played about grabbing tentacles from a dead Cthulhu body. Now it's the lemonade contest. How much lemonade can you drink? But careful, Johnny got into the batch and that's not lemonade. <laughs> so you can expect Matt Fantastic's game of You Mad Bro being released as Matt Fantastic's that's not lemonade. <laughs> so exciting! And we're also doing two rooms and a boom expansions. I'm really excited to play some of the other stuff that I hope joins our lineup. Some games that you've been playtesting. I'm excited to show off Fairy Tale Betrayal right with the board game geek two rooms and a boom crew that we always do every year, Saturday night by the elevators. It is a tradition now. I can't wait to mix it up with some of my other games. So getting playtesting done within the larger groups, but also getting some minor playtesting done with just you and me and talking biz. That's what I'm looking forward to, getting stuff done. Yeah. How's your penis doing? It's good, thank you. Thank you for asking. You're welcome. Hey, let's talk about some games. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's time for the tabletop. Have you been playing anything recently? I have been playing some things recently. We played This House is Haunted again this year at my father's old home, which is now my brother's home. Super fun. We refined it, and I'm pretty confident it's going to be an annual tradition. So every year, we're going to play some This House is Haunted scary game. Because, you know, every Halloween we talk about, is there such a thing as a scary game? But in my back pocket, I have a recording of interviewing the players after they played This House is Haunted, and some of it's pretty funny. One player in particular said that he was on the verge of urinating himself pretty much the entire time, which was so cool because no one could tell. He seemed like he was just himself being a cool, calm cat, but apparently, nerves of jelly. So this guy has an ultimate poker face, but he totally revealed himself as being really scared. This house is haunted, transforms your house into a haunted house. I love it. I really want to make our own version of it because there's definitely so many flaws in it that we house ruled the crap out of it to the point where it almost transformed into a different game. You've been loving This House is Haunted for a while now. For just over a year. It makes me think that, um, so you brought up the player who was about to pee themselves, right? The whole time. How much, uh... Solomon. Solomon, yeah. Is that surprising to you since you know Solomon? Solomon has been one of our booth volunteers, and he's helped us very much at Origins pretty much every year, and I think he's in Origins regular. But is that surprising when I say Solomon? Yes, it is. You know who else I invited? Captain Weenie. Yeah, was Captain Weenie, did he have a good time? I'm sorry, Sir Weenie. I invited Sir Weenie. Ben Canellis was there. That's who I thought would be petrified the most. But he wasn't. Sir Weenie? When it comes to like a horror game, one thing that you made me think of when you said that one of the players was about to pee themselves the whole time, Solomon, 
was that like in a good party game, you need somebody with a good sense of humor and a good spirit of fun. A horror game won't work if you have people who don't get scared. Obviously, everyone feels fear. Everyone feels that emotion, right? But there are certain people who say, like, get scared at horror movies and certain people who don't. And that's not to say that the people who don't don't get scared at any horror movies, but by and large, horror movies don't scare them except for maybe, oh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre or, oh, The Exorcist or whatever. These really hardcore movies scare them. For the most part, they're not scared to watch a horror movie. Meanwhile, you have another kind of person who's scared to even turn on a horror movie. You know what I'm talking about? Oh, yeah. And I think that's one of those requirements you have to have for a horror board game. You have to be willing to be scared at all. If it's one of those things, oh, I just don't get scared at this sort of thing. It's not like sandbag bagging exactly but it's like playing charades with somebody who doesn't like to do improv it's just not gonna work i don't know have you found that to be true in your playing of this house is haunted so my wife absolutely refused to play she said that sounds horrifying there's no way in hell i would do that she hates watching scary movies but keep this in mind i think a lot of people love being scared especially around the halloween time Hence why people listen to our super scary Halloween episode. Hence why people go to horror movies and obviously they're making money. They still make more and more horrible horror movies every year and people go to them. But here's the thing, Sean, something that you may not be realizing. The people that aren't scared of horror movies, that don't get scared and would be willing to play this. The other half of This House is Haunted is that you could be in charge of scaring the other people. So it's a lot of fun for those people that may not get scared, but love scared. For instance, I don't get scared. I'm not trying to be all macho, but you know me, whatever, cause of death ghost. You know that inside joke. No one dies from a ghost. Not scared. Love scaring people. Great practical joker. So this game has a different appeal to me in that I have so much fun seeing those people scared. And of course, I selectively invited individuals I thought would be terrified. We also did some exercises to warm up to make sure people got in the mood. For instance, we made a house rule, no eating, because eating is not scary. You're trying to get in the mood, and if someone's just over there, we found not really terrifying. It just kind of breaks the mood. But I think it has something for almost everybody, except for those people that are too terrified to play the game. But you're right. It does require some personalities. And I think that can be true for any game. Because I think what you're really trying to get into is, is there actually a viable market for this game? I think there is. Oh, yeah. I think that is one of the interesting questions. And I'm also just curious. No. Okay. Let's cut through the bullshit, Sean. You don't like going on roller coasters. Is that still the case? I think I would now, but I'm afraid of them for sure. I've never been on a roller coaster in my life, if you're wondering, audience out there. So I'm, I'm scared of them. <laughs> Anytime I've brought up this game, I've always felt you kind of drag in your heels a little bit. Are you one of those people that it sounds like a horrible game? Does it sound like you wouldn't like to play this game? Oh, no, no, no. I'm not dragging my heels at all. I'm thinking through it of like, okay, is this a game that requires some emotional fluffing to get people in the mood? Does it not work with certain types of people? I love the term fluffing, by the way. Oh, yeah. <laughs> emotional fluffing. <laughs> You've played Monopoly, of course, right? Who hasn't? Of course. Right. And so my niece and nephew came over and they just got the Zelda version of Monopoly. It's the Monopoly game, but everything's just been rethemed to Zelda. What are the pieces? Let me guess. Let me guess the pieces. Here we go. The Let's... pieces are like the no, no, shield. No, no, shut up, shut up. Let me guess. Let me guess. Um, Link? Nope. Princess? Zelda? Nope. Zelda's not in there? Nope. Okay, then it's just more generic things. Sword? Nope. Shield? Shield, yes. Triforce. Triforce is there. Treasure chest. 
Uh, there's not a treasure chest, but there are treasure chest cards, like chance cards. Heart? No hearts. Um, fudge, man. Bow and arrow? There is a bow and arrow piece. Boomerang? I think there is a boomerang, yeah. Grappling gun, we're kind of reaching now. The hook shot? The hook shot is one of the pieces. Oh my god, really? Okay. I mean, if you think about it, Monopoly has a shoe and a thimble, so... Right. I think I'm out. So what did I miss? I don't know. I think that's all of them. It's got a shield, the Triforce, the hook shot, the boomerang. Uh, maybe I didn't see the other pieces, but those are all the ones we played. We only played with four of us. So there might be a sword. I'm looking it up. So, you know, my nephew was like, hey, it was the collector's edition Zelda, so I had to get it. So now I know who falls prey to that market of putting collector's edition on things. And they were so excited to play. And I haven't played Monopoly in like a decade or more, maybe 15 years. And I was reading through the rules and they do a good job in the new games of saying, hey, you may have a lot of house rules, but those house rules make this game last a long, long, long time. And Lindsay, my girlfriend, she had a lot of house rules. She's got the free parking. Yeah, the worst mistakes you can make. Everyone knows nowadays, don't do free parking, gets all the money in the center. That just makes the game last forever. Everyone knows that. I'm sure anyone listening to this knows, don't do the free parking, gets the money in the center. Don't do that. And the the thinking that I have now about, and I know there's a documentary about this that I haven't seen, but the thinking I have now about why all these house rules are there is... I think a lot of people play Monopoly not intending to finish. I think they automatically go into it thinking it's a long game, and so it's just a way to pass the time. And so you end up with these house rules that make the game fun, like landing on free parking, in the short term, but actually detract from the value of the game in the long term. So I'm playing the game, and one of the rules that a lot of people don't remember is auctioning. Yep. You land on a space, and you can either buy it, and if you don't buy it, you can auction it. Makes the game last about a billion times faster. But most people are still playing with their memories from childhood of, you have to land on a property to buy it. Now, there's some strategy. There's some bidding. There's a lot more interaction. And so when I was seeing this with sort of fresh eyes, I was like, oh, there's a very good game in here. However... <laughs> It's not a good kids game. The kids are having a hard time keeping track of their money. They're not on top of when people owe them rent. They're just buying properties willy-nilly. They're not thinking about buying in blocks. They're not putting together houses because it's just not a game that's designed for kids. But if you were to ask, I would say like any random person on the street, what's like a good kids board game? Eight out of 10 people would say Monopoly because they remember playing it from their youth. But it's just, there's no way it's a good kids game. No. You ready for the official answer of the pieces? Oh, you looked it up? Yeah, of course. Here are the official pieces. All right. Triforce. Uh-huh. The grappling hook shot. Uh-huh. Bow and arrow. Uh-huh. The shield. Uh-huh. Here's the other two. Slingshot. Uh. And I don't know what that other thing is. It looks like a torch, but the flame is a wing. I have no idea what that thing is. And I know Zelda. Yeah, I didn't know what it was either. So I just said it was a boomerang because I couldn't tell when you were guessing. I was like, eh, it's just a boomerang. It's a weird looking boomerang if it is. But yeah, we'll say boomerang. Have you heard of Monopoly Gamer Edition? No, I haven't. So (laughs) Monopoly Gamer Edition, they turn to Nintendo for help. It takes the Super Mario series theme combines it in and it's not just mario theme monopoly it deviates from the classic board game in some very direct ways instead of buying up property and racking up cash you complete levels and you collect coins but the biggest changes 
are the addition of power-ups and boss battles, which take like Mario and Donkey Kong and Princess Peach and Yoshi tokens. They have to fight and they have abilities. So there's like this ability die that you have to roll. And I think one of them is the shell that hits the player that's in the lead. I don't know. I haven't played it, but it's supposed to just put more strategy into the game so there isn't as much randomness and therefore you have more decisions to make rather than do i buy do i not rather than just negotiating prices but i mean it's still the monopoly board where you go around but you have a separate ability die that you can use different characters have different abilities apparently so that's like the monopoly gamer edition I have yet to talk to anyone that has played it and their thoughts. So if you are a knave listening to this and you've played Monopoly Gamer Edition, please, please, please write in at podcast at TuesdayNightGames.com and we'd love to hear your take on Monopoly Gamer Edition. So yeah, all that to really say is I had this experience with Monopoly and I was like getting into it. I was like, oh yeah, Monopoly is kind of fun. Oh, but it's not fun if you have X, Y, and Z. I don't think it's a good game for families. I think that's the market it sells in, but I think the market that would have the most fun would be like a heavy, almost Euro game market. I heard this example before. It's a total booby trap for grandmothers and dads. Like, oh, it's Christmas. Uh, I don't know what to get them. Oh, Monopoly. Everyone should have Monopoly in. What a great game for gifts. It's like in the same realm as those rip-off bargain bin movie DVDs. Five movies on one disc. Whoa, what a good gift. Ah, just the clueless dads and the clueless grandmothers out there. Sorry for all those dads and grandma names. And hopefully I didn't just offend you. But yeah, but it, it does feel like that. It, it feels like a game that I mean, at this point, it's an institution. It'll so well no matter what, but it, it's not hitting the right audience. And so all that to say, like with the horror game, you kind of have to know your audience and the people who are going to like the horror game. To me, while they could be horror aficionados, right? They could be people who don't get scared, but like scaring people. I like that distinction you drew that maybe if you like scaring people, you'll still have a good time. But it's probably going to be more party people or more people who are open to being scared as opposed to like your hardcore gamer. So it just comes back to like knowing your audience and knowing what they're going to enjoy. Here's the main demographic simply said, anyone who would like to go to a haunted house, you would like this house is haunted if you play it appropriately. There are some contingencies. There's things that need to be refined and hopefully I can include that in an episode or if we ever do that Patreon thing, I'll definitely just have it as a Patreon bonus. Just our feedback from games and the house rules we used in order to make the game as great as possible. I'll give you one quick house rule that we did. We took flashlights, but I got felt cloth that I attached onto the flashlight heads so it dimmed the flashlights because it made it much more atmospheric. Because we live in the day and age of LED flashlights, bro, which means these flashlights light up like a policeman's spotlight back in the day, and that isn't scary. So anyway, a lot of different modifications, that kind of stuff. What else have you been playing, though? The other game I played is a game by Playroom Entertainment called Sherlock. Sherlock. Oh my goodness. Sounds like you should step in the elevator for Sherlock. Oh, you think so? Sure. Yeah. Sean, you are Sherlock. No, no, you're not Sherlock. This is you, Sean. You're the second best investigator that's in London at the time. And you live on, what's Sherlock's address? Something, something Baker Street? Baker Street, yep. 221B Baker Street. You're Sean McCoy, so yourself, but you're an Englishman, 
and you're also an investigator, but you live on 220 Baker Street across the street from Sherlock, and you just have the misfortune, even though you're a terrific investigator, you're nothing compared to Sherlock. So if you had just lived somewhere else or at some other time, you would have been a fantastic investor. I love this story I just made. <laughs> this is your character, Sean. <laughs> Elevator going up. Uh, good evening. I'm um, British Sean McCoy. I live right down the street from that semi-famous, you may well know him, British detective. I won't mention his name. I think he gets quite enough press as it is. I will, however, have to mention his name for the sake of talking about the board game this week, and that board game is Sherlock, <laughs> uh, <laughs> which came out in 1999. The game, whose name I will not mention again, is a children's game, and even one Kinderspiel, I think back in 1999 to 2000. Looking it up. It's a lovely little game. It's just a memory game. You have eight objects in a circle that are represented by cards that could be a shovel or umbrella or a whistle or a chair or what have you. Everybody gets a chance to look at the cards and they go face down and then you go in a row, somebody starts off and then they pick one of the cards, they try to see if they remember it and if they do, each card has a number and an arrow saying which card you have to hop to next. So they go to that card, see if they can name it. If they do, it goes face up. If they don't, they lose their turn and it moves on to the next person. All the cards go face back down again. Whenever you land on a card that's already been face up, you get to keep that card and the first person has six cards wins. That's literally all the rules of the game. Ding! <laughs> it's a great game because for kids... Just so you know, Sean. Yes. 2003, Spiel de Yaris. Oh. Kinderspiel. It got the Kinderspiel, yep. which is like the Spiel de Yaris for kids. Kinderspiel. Yep. Kinder is child in German, hence kindergarten. It is literally a garden of children. <laughs> it's a simple game. It couldn't be simpler. I mean, I literally told you all the rules to the game. What's cool about it is they have to be engaged the whole time. So like in... Zelda Monopoly, kids are like not paying attention when it's not their turn. And so it's like, who's got this property? Who owes rent on it? You're constantly having to corral people back. With Sherlock, when other people are going, this is your chance to rememorize the cards because they're guessing and flipping it over. I can't believe we're describing memory. Is this just basically exactly memory? Yeah, memory is you flip over one card and then you have to find the pair and you flip them back over. If you, they're not a match, but if they do match, you get to keep on going. But it's different than memory because in this one... There's eight cards in a circle around the deck. They're all face up for like 10 seconds. Then we put them all face down. Let's say you're going and I'm after you. I pick a starting place for you. I say, okay, you start with this card. And then you guess what that card is. Then we flip it over and see if you're right or wrong. If you're wrong, it goes back face down. If you're right, it stays face up. And then on that card, it'll say like three left. And so you count three cards to the left. Try to guess that card. You get it right. You flip it face up. And you keep doing this until you either guess wrong, in which case all the cards get flipped back over, or you land on a card that's face up that you've gotten before. And then you get to keep that card. And then a new card comes out of the deck to fill that spot. I didn't say that in the elevator pitch. That's the whole game. It's not like genius or anything, but it is uniformly difficult. It's memory that is a lot more engaging. It sounds like it's memory that adults can tolerate. Because when I play with my niece and nephew when they were young, hey, let's play some memory. It's like, oh, great. This, all right, this is something to do. I don't know if you could call memory a skill or not, like if it's a skill game. I don't remember. <laughs> but it's uniformly difficult for everybody. You're either good at it or you're bad at it. You can pay attention. You can use your move to, oh, I forgot what that card was on this side. But you're going next and I get to control where you start. Well, I can start with that card because no matter whether you get it right or not, I'm going to get to see what it is. There's like a very, very, very minor amount of strategy and it plays in like 20 minutes. So it's a great little filler game that keeps everybody involved. And it's smaller than a box of two rooms at a boom. So it's very easy to keep in my collection. I don't know how much better you could make this game. 
I don't mean that as a slight. I mean, this game is its own perfect implementation of itself. It's just tight. Yeah, it's good the way it is. No extraneous rules. Lasts the right amount of time. The art's good. Right. Anyway, you want to knight someone? Sure, let's do it. Let's knight Jackie. Jackie? Just anyone? Jackie Chan? Let's just randomly knight somebody. Or listen to this. Hey guys, my name's Dennis Vanette. Sean, Alan, it's been an awesome podcast. I've really enjoyed listening to it, and I hope to continue listening to it well past your 100. I hope you hit 500,000. I listen to it weekly, and it's been amazing. I'm an active duty captain in the United States Army, and I figured I'd take the time to uh, send in a submission because Alan was asking about them. The way I came to board gaming, I guess, is a little atypical from the average person. I didn't do it very much as a kid. I played a tactical miniatures game, but mostly because my buddy was interested in it. I really didn't do a whole lot of board gaming outside of the Monopoly, Catan, all things of that nature. So I ended up getting married to my wonderful wife. I met her in college, and she's been absolutely amazing. We got married in 2013. We were supposed to get married in March and ended up getting married in December because the Army had a surprise. The uh, Parachute Infantry Unit I was assigned to, 504th Parachute Infantry Regiment, was being deployed to Afghanistan. So we quickly had to modify our plans. Obviously kind of distressing news. We deployed to Afghanistan, my unit and I. I'm a medical service officer by trade, so while I don't necessarily treat people, very involved in the medical community. And I will say it was a tough time, of course, without getting into a lot of the specifics that you can imagine the psychological stress and the impact it would have had on me. In the moment, it really didn't feel real, but when you come back from a deployment like that, it sinks in. I came back and I was in all kinds of disarray. I didn't really register it until later, but luckily I've been able to get the help I need. And one of those things, one of those avenues of assistance has been board gaming. I stumbled upon Shut Up and Sit Down first. I found their podcast. I saw a a video and that led to the podcast. And I know the episode that you all mention a lot as being kind of the entryway into into Tuesday Night Games is when they had the crossover when they came over and that's honestly what brought me to your podcast and obviously the contents has kept me here. I've really enjoyed it. I kind of learned about Pandemic there and I saw that board games were more than just Monopoly, more than just your average, your run-of-the-mill things. I kind of delved deeper, started playing games like Lords of Waterdeep, Viticulture, that's a very, very big one in my household. And so we, we were playing all these games and my wife and I revisited our honeymoon spot, Asheville, North Carolina. And there's a little gaming store, and I'd never really been in a gaming store that was designated or designed to really promote board gaming. I've seen hobby stores, but I walked into this store, and it was astounding. I mean, the level of support there was for board gaming blew my mind. It was very interesting, and I look at the wall, and my wife says, Hey, you know what? I used to play this game with friends. Ticket to Ride. And I said, Oh, man, I've heard about that. I've listened to enough podcasts. They've talked about it. So she said, Let's get it. For my wife to say, hey, let's spend 60 bucks on, on a board game. Uh, it was it was something, it was an opportunity I was not going to pass up. So we quickly made the purchase. And I guess part of the story that's important to emphasize is we go home. My wife and I are playing this game for the first time a couple days later. And it's kind of shaped how I teach games. Because my wife, we sit down to play this game. And hopefully most of your listeners are familiar. But... She's kind of teaching as we go. I asked her for a rules explanation. I tried to read through ahead of time. She says, we'll learn it as we go. Just not my preferred method of learning. So she's showing me this game, and I'm like, oh, man, I've got to connect a path from Seattle 
all the way down to like just above Florida somewhere. I forget the exact city. So I start telegraphing my move. I'm building from the East Coast towards the West Coast, trying to connect this insanely long train. My wife lets it go. Then she blocks off Seattle so it's absolutely impassable because you only need the two small tracks. So in two turns, you can completely lock Seattle out. Consequently, she completely destroyed my entire strategy, which made me realize that like I'm not in it to win it necessarily. I'm in it to have fun and I'm in it to enjoy interactions with people. So I learned an important lesson from my, my wonderful wife. But the crux of the story, the, the, I guess the resolution is that board gaming has kind of helped me cope with some of the issues that I've had. It's helped me understand how important it is to interact with people. I don't enjoy winning board games. I enjoy playing them. I enjoy all types of board games, party games, Euro games, and anything that's out there, I'll, I'm willing to play it because I know when I'm playing it, I'm playing it with people. I'm interacting with someone face-to-face, and it's something that I don't know that I'm necessarily getting from a lot of other hobbies. So my life has kind of pivoted. I've really enjoyed board gaming. I've listened to a lot of media about it. I like following what's coming out new, but I also like playing what's old. And I'll say I'm very thankful. The community's been wonderful. The content creators out there, yourself, um, you guys, the other podcasts that I listen to, they've been amazing. And honestly, it's been so helpful to hear just something that takes you out of the moment, may remove you from any sad thoughts, from any deep, dark places, and puts you back into a place where really you're focused on interacting within the parameters of a world that you're creating with people. And that has meant an incredible amount to me. I'm proud to have served. I'm proud I served with a parachute infantry regiment. I'm fortunate that I came back unharmed, and I thank God every day for those that paid the ultimate price. But I will say one thing that has helped me cope, one thing that has helped me move on is this hobby that we all enjoy. Anyway, I really appreciate your guys' podcast. I wish you all the best. I really enjoy the content that you create, and hopefully I'll be able to get out to a con sometime and bump into you, and I will crush on Alan for a little bit as he likes to say. So anyway, thank you very much. Bye. Dennis, come to a con so you can crush on me. That would be amazing. That's a great story. I think Dennis has definitely earned the right to be knighted. Yeah. Thanks for your service, Dennis. That was a really... I got choked up a little bit because I know what he was alluding to. He was talking about post-traumatic stress disorder and that games have been very therapeutic for him. And I'm sure that stress was caused from great losses. So I can only imagine that. And it's really touching to hear. And it's just really cool to think that maybe one of our games has helped someone. At the very least, it's helped people have fun and connect. It's, It's amazing. All right, well, it's Knight Sir Dennis here. Let's do it. Let's knight him. Dennis Vinette, take a knee and allow us to thank you for your honorable contribution to the Tuesday Night Podcast. You took the time to record your story and to email it to us, the Tuesday Night Podcast. For that, we dub thee Sir Dennis Vinette. Rise no longer a knave, but a knight of the Tuesday Night Podcast. Yay! Dennis, thank you so much. Thank you again for your service. That's why we love having people send in Nave Tonight submissions. They're getting better. Yeah, well, I don't want to say that because that makes it sound like we're shitting on all the people that already sent submissions. I'll say it. But... They're getting way better. (laughs) (laughs) 
I think there's safety in numbers. I think the greatest risk was on the people who submitted first. But I think what will happen is as more and more stories come out, they'll be different. They'll make other people realize, oh, I have a story that's like that or like that. And so we could just hear more people's stories. Does that make sense? They don't all have to be like proposals or life-changing things with your parents. They're just how you interact with game. And I think everybody's story is really interesting in that way. Yeah, I'm still waiting for a really bad submission. And maybe that's you, Nave, listening to this. Yes, you. So please, take the time, record your story, make it between two minutes and ten minutes, whatever. Just send it in at podcast at TuesdayNightGames.com. And that's the same place where you can send your questions, your concerns, and whatever. We're going to be hearing more of those in future episodes. And I think in the next episode, hopefully we can recap what happened at BGGCon. I'm excited. Sean, if they want to stay in touch with you, what should they do? You could follow me on Twitter at Sean McCoy. That's S-E-A-N-M-C-C-O-Y. Though I've been a little light on social media for the last couple months. Been kind of taking a break from it. How dare you? I know. You have a job to do, sir. And that's to be social. Don't you know your value as a human being is only measured in likes and hearts and retweets? (sighs) Worthless. It's true. Hey, you can follow the podcast on Twitter at PlayTKG. I'm Alan Gerding, A-L-A-N-G-E-R-Ding. You can follow me on the Facebook and the tweets. And I think with that being said, this episode is... Finished. That's right. Second best investigator that lives across the street from Sherlock Holmes. Ah! That was a good name tonight submission.